All right. Well, hey, everybody. James Aaron here. Welcome to Speculative Work. We're at episode 13. Um, I kind of cannot believe it. We've actually reached an unlucky number. So if we can push through this, everything will be fine, right? Um, let's hope so. So part of that, or as part of that, is that today I'm going to talk about focusing on the positive as a writer. But first, let's do some updates. So work complete, um, again, if you listened to last week's episode, work has not been super great, and I'm not quite sure why, but I feel like I've been chipping short paragraphs out of stone as if I was at the bottom of a mine with a pickaxe, uh, just scratching away at granite, and it hasn't been fun. Um, I have not been feeling very good about my output uh, this last couple weeks, especially compared to how well things were going at the beginning of the year. And I've been trying to figure out why exactly, and I'm not sure. Uh, I think maybe I needed a mental break because I did do some writing today and, um, and I got some words down and I felt good about that. But it was the first time in a couple weeks that I really felt like the story was flowing again you know I kind of just like lost the plot on the book I was working on and it's kind of funny how quickly it just ran away from me so yeah so th this episode is kind of about not feeling bad about that <laughs> and I'm going to try and convince myself and hopefully help you um, to not feel bad when you lose the plot so other updates um I think last week I was talking about the fact that I didn't know if I had sold uh, the, the most recent short story I had written to a near-future anthology, and I did. That story got accepted, so I'm pretty excited about that. And I'm, I'm proud of that story. I think it, uh, it was good. It's, um, it was one of the more you know, complete, rounded stories that I've, that I've written since I've you know, been trying to write short stories. So, so that was good. Um, Vesta Burning, which is my uh, seventh book, uh, we've been working on approving the audio. Fans have been going over it, and now it's my turn to go over it. And we should be getting that live on Audible pretty soon, which also means that uh, the anthology, which we're calling Lissa's Flame, which includes books four and five of the Sentience Wars Origin series, and then uh, Vesta Burning will be up on Amazon, or not, I'm sorry, not Amazon, but Audible as well. So that's pretty exciting. Um, I did some outlining and character building on the novella um, that I'm going to be doing some work on. Um, granted that I can finish Eva Destruction. Eva Destruction must be finished <laughs> before that can happen, but, uh, but it is going to happen. Um, but I also had some fun outlining that new project, so um, that was good. I've been doing lots of work around the house, so... <laughs> From the, uh, the power outage that we had last week, been focused a lot on some kind of like emergency planning stuff and, you know, prepping stuff that I just hadn't gotten around to doing. You know, I do it in my day job and I hadn't gotten around to doing it uh, at the house. So I've actually got all the parts coming. I, I bought some solar panels almost a year ago now and just hadn't put the system together. So I got all the parts coming to get a solar system put together. It's not going to be huge. It's going to have two solar panels with um, a 400 watt hour battery bank um, that, you know, will be good enough. 
So I'm excited to get that put together. Um, I've done the initial layout to build um, a tool shed out in the backyard. So I did that, laying that out. And then did some maintenance on. Um, I have a well with a, a pump that we don't rely on, but um, I do tinker with it a lot. And part of the solar project was trying to figure out if I could run the pump off solar, which I learned quite a bit about what it takes to run pumps off solar. <laughs> and I determined that because we have a, uh, a three-quarter horsepower pump, it was actually better to do that with a, a generator. So I am going to be getting a generator, but that's a little bit down the road um, after these other purchases kind of smooth out. So that's been very productive. Um, it's felt, you know, that, that stuff all feels good. And... Like I'll talk about in a minute, like focusing on the positive is uh, is a good thing. So I try not to beat myself up about not necessarily getting writing done. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of books. So I finished the books one through three of the books of Babel by Josiah Bancroft. And I highly, highly recommend these books. So book number one is Senlin Ascends. Book number two is called The Arm of the Sphinx. And book number three is called The Hod King. And I had first heard about Josiah Bancroft because he was a winner of Mark Lawrence's um, indie publishing blog off where Mark Lawrence basically, you know, indie publishers can submit fantasy to, to him and he basically disperses it among blog reviewers and then they come up with, you know, they have kind of a, uh, if I remember correctly, like the time that I took part in it, which was back in 2015, it was kind of like a bracketed system where each blogger chose their favorite among what they were going to read and then pass that on to the next. And his um, Senlin Ascends, and I want to say Arm of the Sphinx, were both self-published. And, and he won that contest. I would really love to be able to see those original self-published books that he had put out and to see if they are different or because so he got a deal with Hachette and the books are now you know traditionally published which they deserve all the uh the audience that traditional publishing can give them but I'd be really curious to see if there's a difference maybe in editing or or what if you go on Goodreads you can see where the cover his original cover that he had which was obviously not a professionally produced cover um but that's kind of the only indication that it was self-published, except that the story is out there that it was a, uh, a fan favorite is the way that they've been marketing it, you know, because it was so successful. But it's, I would almost call it like science fiction steampunk. It takes place, the story takes place in sort of an alternate history where the Tower of Babel um, exists. And it probably is an equivalent of like 1850 of when the story is taking place. Um and it follows a school teacher who has been teaching his uh, kids, you know, his classes about the Tower of Babel his whole life and has dreamt of going there. And then he gets married and for his honeymoon takes his, uh, his wife there. And then, you know, bad things happen. And so the whole story ongoing is about how he basically, you know, it's, it's sort of man against the tower, man against uh, society um, as things progress. But... Bancroft is just, I had a really difficult time believing this was, these were his first books <laughs> because um, the prose is highly polished. The characterization is 
develops in a really organic and uh, lifelike way. And then as you get to book three, you start to realize that the plotting has been really, as it grows in complexity, was obviously well thought uh, from the beginning. And it's just, it's just incredibly masterful. Like I, it's one, it's one of the rare books that I finished book three and I immediately wanted to go back and start rereading book one again. And that hardly ever happens to me. Um, so I would, I would highly recommend them. I think, you know, I haven't been reading a lot of fantasy recently and, you know, pretty much all science fiction. And I, it's funny cause I kind of think of these books more as science fiction than fantasy and certainly not as steampunk, which, um, I haven't read a lot of steampunk that I, that I liked, but, um, this, these books are just, I think it's really the characterization and the characters draw you in and the mystery of the tower of Babel keeps drawing you on because you want to know more about it. Um, but it doesn't overstay its welcome with, with any of those, uh, those aspects of the story. So highly recommended books of Babel by Josiah Bancroft. Then I listened to half of Free, The Future of a Radical Price by Chris Anderson, which is not a long book by any means. I want to say it's only six hours total, which means it's maybe 200 pages. Um, But it's funny because it's one of those books that its idea has been talked about so much that it was probably, it it was revolutionary when the book came out, but now it's pretty much accepted as, you know, not anything revolutionary. <laughs> um, so the book is actually free on Audible. Uh, so you can just download it and listen to it, which I think is a really interesting thing of Anderson to do. But the overall concept of free is that the difference between physical copies of things to be sold and digital copies and how a physical copy of something, um, you know, the more you have of it, or there's a there's a cost involved in creating more of it, which creates an economy in itself. You know, in selling the making and selling the thing. But when you have something made of bits that's digital, uh, it inherently becomes valueless to copy it. And I, I shouldn't say value valueless because it's the act of using or interacting with or experiencing with the digital media or thing, you know, be it a music, book, movie, whatever, it's the experience that's valuable. And so if you're a person who creates things that can be shared digitally, ultimately you should figure out how to support yourself through uh, kind of selling the experience or getting people to pay you to create more, not necessarily to sell the thing because the thing is ultimately worthless. And he bases a lot of this on the music industry, obviously, um, how it, the huge shift that has gone from selling the physical objects to selling the experience so that bands typically make money now off their shows and their merchandise and getting people to support them directly through things like Patreon. Um, you know, there are individual musicians that are making, you know, a great living that way. The thing that got kind of frustrating about the book is that he spends a lot of time kind of going over the history of free and how we perceive free as a value or ways that marketing has kind of tricked us into thinking about free. Um, And that got kind of tedious. But overall, I'd say it's if you haven't thought about some of these concepts, it's definitely an excellent book to uh, to read. Chris Anderson is also the guy that came up with the concept of the long tail 
which is the idea that as media, you know, basically Amazon has no physical boundaries, right? So unlike a library that has to cull books all the time, library or Barnes and Noble, it can only sell a certain amount of books. Um, <clears throat> Amazon is a bookstore with no walls, right? So if you have a hundred books and you only sell, you know, two of each book a day, you can still make a very good living as opposed to selling a hundred copies of one book. That's whole whole idea of the long tail, which a lot of, you know, has been out there for quite a while. Um, as we've seen, it it can be difficult. The idea of the long tail um, is difficult when you can you constantly have new people entering into the system. <laughs> you know, if there are no constraints on books coming into the system or media coming into the system, it can be harder to make even those uh, those minimal sales on a broad back back catalog. Um, but plenty of people still do it. So uh, I can talk, I'll, I, don't know, I might talk about that later in, in another another podcast. Um, but I would definitely recommend if you, if you haven't thought about some of these things, um, because Anderson's ultimate idea with free is that anything that can be digital ultimately gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And we're in the midst of this this process where, you know, like say traditional publishers are still trying to hang on to artificially inf inflated prices and there's a gap there or there used to be a gap between you know work that was indie published and not up to the same standard of as a product as traditional publishing because indie publishers didn't have the uh, infrastructure to make the those same level of products well that's changing and as that gap closes more and more readers are going to jump to the lower price points and ultimately, the price point won't matter as much as just supporting the artist, you know. So a lot of writers even now and musicians are figuring out ways to uh, develop income streams that are separate of the thing, you know. So for writers, separate of the book, you know, it's like getting people to support you on Patreon or selling swag or, you know, any any number of things. Um, you know, getting a person, you might give away book one for free, but then you charge for ongoing books in a, in a series. And the, pr the thing is the price points we're talking about here, where a book is like four to $5. Um, if you can't get someone to buy a book for that, that low amount, um, you're doing something wrong, you know, because in the grand scheme of things, that's a very, a very small amount, uh, to pay for a piece of entertainment, especially for the amount of entertainment that they're going to get out of that book. Um, so it's selling the thing itself is not, you're not selling that thing for $4. You're, the person is giving you $4 as a writer uh, to experience the book. And that, that's why you sometimes see, you know, when writers experiment with changing their price points, and they might start out with, you know, $2.99, thinking they want to attract people at that price point. And there's a lot, you know, pe their perceptions of quality and things like that. And um, But that's why oftentimes writers don't see any change between $3 and $5 because, the price points are so close and what people are really doing is paying the writer what they feel is fair for the book, right? Um, so interesting things to to think about. And I, I would still recommend checking out this book, even if you're kind of familiar with some of these ideas. And if you listen to Seth Godin's blog, you've definitely heard them before. Um, but it's good to go back to the source. Okay, so the other book I've been listening to is called American Nations, A History of the Eleven Rival Regional Cultures in North America by Colin Woodard. 
And this book has just been blowing my mind. Like it's, uh, I'm, I'm three quarters of the way through it, listening to it. And it's like listening to just a really great history podcast. And, uh, it's basically about the idea that the United States was formed by different countries essentially. And then those countries, um, were at odds with each other. And there was, you know, a period where it certainly didn't look like the United States was going to be one country. Um, but through a series of, you know, capitulations and, uh, you know, different, um, you know, just, just different ins and outs of, of cultures interacting with each other. The United States became one, one country and different parts of the country continue to play out these same regional, uh, cultures and values that they did from the beginning. And, um, it's funny. It's like, sometimes you read something that it's like learning to read where you realize that, oh yeah, that is why that is like that. Um, and this book is just really interesting. It's got me really rethinking a lot of, you know, political maps and, um, just how different parts of the country are, are the way they are, uh, which is, which is interesting. I think if you're, uh, not from the United States, it's still interesting because, um, he spends a lot, uh, Woodard spends time talking about uh, what has become Canada and also Mexico and the British Empire, the French Empire, the Spanish Empire. And obviously those, uh, those groups affected different parts of the world as well. So it's, it's just really interesting to see how, um, how these things have played out over time. You know, one of the, he starts out uh, talking about what he calls El Norte, which is um, kind of the Ameri- what is now the American Southwest. And yeah, I lived in El Paso for four years, so I've got a lot of experience with, um, with that part of the country. And you forget that, you know, there was a Spanish empire here for 300 years before anybody from Western Europe, well, I shouldn't say Western Europe, but, but England and the Netherlands came to, the United, came to um, America or the French. And, uh, and we kind of forget that it's, I don't know, it's just a, been a fascinating book. So I would highly recommend it. Um, I think to anyone, again, that's called American nations, a history of the 11 rival regional cultures in North America. And I also think that if you love to debate, you know, how the U S might break into separate countries now, <laughs> you know, whether California is going to secede or not. And if that makes any sense at all, um, this is a book that will give you some great, uh, great things to use, um, in your debates with people. (laughs) So, um, I recommend it for that. Okay. So what I wanted to talk about was, um, staying positive. Like how do you focus on the positive as a writer? How do I focus on the positive? And the only reason I even talk about this is because, or feel, I guess, authorized or are you know, like I'm like, this is something I can talk about because I, I have gone through times in my life when I was deeply depressed and I had to, uh, tell myself like as kind of a mantra to focus on the positive. <laughs> and something I used to say to myself a lot was focus on what you have, not what you don't have. And it's funny cause I, I haven't thought of, I don't think of myself as a depressed person, but, um, when I look back on different periods, and like thought loops that I got in, it's like, yeah, that was, that was depression dummy. <laughs> um, but I think when you're, especially when you're pushing yourself to be creative, it's really easy to be hard on yourself. Um, 
and and the interesting thing is if you flip that and you think about like why why do you feel bad well because i didn't do something i set out to do well do you realize that by pushing yourself to do something or to be creative or to make something um you are already separating yourself from most people who won't do that so just by the act of wanting to do that thing you are accomplishing something that most people don't do. Um, so just the act of starting to write or, you know, once you're at the point where you have written and published published things or been published or been part of a group of writers, you know, to be accepted into a group, you've already done things that other people have not done. So I think it's really important to focus on what you have, not what you don't have. And so it's like I was really beating myself up this last week for not having written. And then I realized that, hey, you just sold a, you, you sold a short story. Like, that's great. Um, don't let that go. <laughs> you know, don't. And I think it's really once you've kind of done something before. And, you know, I've sold short stories before, but I hadn't done it in a while. And um, I was not giving myself, like, time to just just kind of have that accomplishment, if that makes any sense. So, all we, you know, sometimes it takes the act of like sitting down and writing these things down or having a conversation with someone so that maybe someone outside you can help you see all the good things that you're doing um, because it's, it's really easy to miss those things. And um, I mean, on Facebook, it was floating around that Jonathan Strayan is uh, putting out a call for his best of 2019 already. And a friend of mine wanted to submit um, one of my stories. And that just kind of blew my mind. I was so touched by that. Like, of course, me personally is like, no, no way. It's not, it's not good enough for that. <laughs> but that, <clears throat> but that a friend felt, um, you know, said that to me, that felt really good. And so that was like allowing myself to feel good about that is I think something you have to let yourself do, especially when you are pushing yourself to be creative all the time, because it's really easy to, I think, lose sight of what, um, of the good work that you do. So remember that any creativity is good. So even if you're not writing, doing something creative. So for me, like, you know, I've gone down the rabbit hole on solar systems, um, this past week. And so, you know, I'm a science fiction writer and I write hard science fiction, which means I do my best to make sure that this is science fiction that will work within the bounds of the world as we understand it, right? It follows physics, or at least it follows the physics as they are uh, established within the story. Well, sometimes that means trying to wrap my head around things that, you know, quite honestly, don't come easy to me. Um, and electrical engineering is not one of those things that comes super easy to me. <laughs> so just the act of like sorting through all the information that's out there, which is both anecdotal on like YouTube and then, um, laid out like a manual online um and then a book you know a book from the library that lays everything out and sorting through all that information listening to people um if you're watching youtube videos there's also like a whole lot of extra information that's really interesting to me about the people that make these videos and like extra stuff they they throw in there about you know the thing about solar is of course it's going to pull you know preppers and um I, I find prepping kind of fascinating, but also cultures around it are really fascinating. I mean, a lot of it is just stuff that I, I grew up, 
I grew up in Oregon and I grew up out in the woods. So it's just stuff that I kind of know, but people that make it a lifestyle are really sort of interesting uh, to me. So, so that's other stuff, you know? And so as you're, as I'm sorting through this info, like a lot of things are kind of popping up in my mind, or I know I'm just sort of like letting that stuff kind of settle in my mind because I will probably use it later on. Like there's so many characters on YouTube that, um, you know, there's only so many crotchety old guys in the woods that you really want to put in a story. But, um, but that's all stuff that is useful. And also when I think about describing complex problems using easy to understand language, um, that's also something that is really useful to me as a science fiction writer. Like what video, what website, what book helped me understand this idea, uh, most clearly, you know, and, you know, we might call them energy cells, but batteries are something that we talk about all the time in science fiction. And so finding ways to understand the limits of that technology, understand how all the different types, um, you know, one of the things that's interesting too, when it comes to how systems work in science fiction is we sort of like, it's very, it can be very homogenous. And when you think about the way tech really is, there's just so many different types of everything, you know, you might say a projectile rifle, but just think about how many thousands of types of rifles there are out in the world, you know, same thing with, with bullets and, um, you know, batteries, same, same kind of stuff. So this sort of research helps kind of remind me of that and just put new information in my brain to crunch. <laughs> so research is always good that way. And for me, pro solving a problem that's separate of the other problem I'm trying to solve, which is the book or the plot or the character, um, kind of helps me sort through those things while I'm uh, like doing something else, right? <laughs> so remember that any creativity is good. So get out and do something creative that maybe isn't writing. And then the other thing I would say is don't compare yourself to others. And when I think about the, the core of, okay, why am I feeling bad about myself right now? It's like, well, cause I've set goals for myself of things I wanted to accomplish. Well, why are you trying to do that? Well, it seems reasonable to get the project done in this amount of time and other people have done it and I should be able to do it too. And some of that is like, yeah, you've got this amount of time to get the project done. You need to get it done. But then some of it is also comparing myself to other people. And I want to be able to produce work as quickly as other people do. I want to be able to produce great work. Um, but it's a trap to let yourself go down that rabbit hole. And so you have to, you have to stop and think about, you know, my work is my, is me. Um, I shouldn't be trying to do what other people are doing. So remember that. And, and sometimes it takes writing that down on a piece of paper. <laughs> and I think even thinking clearly about the people that you're comparing yourselves to, comparing yourself to will help you recognize it. And um, there's nothing wrong with connecting people. And there's nothing wrong with looking up to people, but you have to do your own process, you know? So remember that. Uh, I also try to give a project time to breathe. So if I've hit a roadblock for some, if I've hit a roadblock in a project, there is typically a reason. It's like I said, it's a character problem. It's a plot problem. Um, there's something that isn't working. So the story isn't flowing like it was before. And, and that's losing the plot, you know? So I'm, I'm still working through that on the project I'm, I'm on now. And it, what's frustrating is that it's basically a side character I'm writing, but I just reached a point where I 
I didn't see a way forward. And so I'm still, I'm still plugging away at that. My next, the next uh, note I had was give a project time to breathe, but I think also having a solid deadline. And one of the big differences for me with this current project is I don't have a solid deadline. And so I think that is kind of working against me where other times with project with projects, I basically just have kind of done that thing where you almost free write just to get, get words out. And I haven't been doing that as much. And so I think that's something I need to focus on. Like, yes, give the project time to breathe, but I kind of feel like I've done that. So now it's time to really do what it takes to get the project done. Um, and I kind of need a deadline. So I'll probably be working on that. But but also creating the conditions for, for your own success. So something I'm really struggling with, in addition to uh, not knowing exactly what I want to write, is our baby has gone into uh, serious sleep regression, and I just feel like I don't even have time. So the one hour that I get to write, um, I don't know what to write. <laughs> so there's been a, a drastic reduction in my free time. So create the conditions for success, you know, think systematically about when you get work done, what's the best place to do it. Um, home is not the best place for me to work right now, you know, so you got to think about that. Because um, remember that systems write books, not inspiration. So come up with a system that's going to help you be successful. And for me, that will help, that helps me be more positive. Um, I'm just, I'm really outcome focused that way. If I don't feel like I'm producing something, then I start getting down about myself. So I hope those things help. I think that even if you produce two sentences in a day, that's two more sentences than you got done yesterday. And and if you've written a book um, and now you're struggling, don't forget that you know, you've done more than 99% of the population by just getting that book done. And if you published it, that's even uh, more rare. And so the things you've done have value and don't knock yourself if for whatever reason you're not meeting the metrics of success that you thought you thought you should have. So I hope these things are helpful. Um, just talking through it is helping me. So I appreciate you listening. <laughs> um, and uh, if you've got any questions or if you're struggling with your own things, um, shoot me an email and I will be happy to try and uh, talk through it with you. So goals for next week, uh, keep chipping away. And um, I am going to get all the parts from my solar system, so I'm going to get that set up. So I'll be able to report back and um, let you know how that went because I'm, <laughs> I'm excited about getting, getting that set up. Um, it's kind of funny because I was thinking about, like, well, what am I actually going to charge with this solar system? I don't know. I don't have anything to – I'm going to charge the batteries, obviously, but I don't have a lot of things to run as long as I have, you know, house electricity. So it's definitely just a hobby, but – it's, uh, it's been a really fun mental exercise to, uh, to go through it. So, uh, so until then, thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Happy writing. I'll talk to you later.